$750,000 in debt. I was totally hopeless. You need to decide if you want to be wealthy or if you want to look wealthy. When somebody told me about FPU, I grabbed hold of it like a life preserver. It gave me hope that we could make our marriage work. Knowing where your money's going is a huge life changer. Nobody owns me anymore. Nobody. It just opened up communication big time. All of a sudden, we were back together on a crusade. We changed our family tree. I'm here to do my debt-free screen. Yeah, how much have you paid off? 456000 $89,000. $120,000. financial peace stuff is working. People are getting out of debt and they're becoming millionaires. We are the first generation that are millionaires and we've given more than we ever imagined we could yeah. give. I now have a net worth of $1.7 million. Hope is real. I was really encouraged yesterday. I went to uh, another church, if you will. My son was going to a birthday party, and uh, his friend's father is the pastor there. And I walked in, and you know what I saw on the window when I walked in? Guess what they're starting in two weeks? Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. I said, you know, go figure right now. Super excited about this. We've got eight couples already signed up. Uh, Garrett Thatcher, who's going to kind of be heading up the teaching side of that. It was like, wow, I don't think we've ever had this many in a group. They are super excited about that, and it's not too late to sign up. If you are one of those eight couples, we have five of those resource kits in, in right now um, that you can go ahead and pick up if you wish. Uh, just let us know. I've got them in my office. I can get those to you, and it's not too late to sign up. Class doesn't start for another couple weeks yet. Uh, the 15th, I believe, 16th, whatever that Sunday is, 16th of February is when that begins. So, so please sign up for that. Um, end of the year giving statements. We've had some people ask about those. Um, different churches do things different ways. We used to, at our old church, we would literally print all of them off, put them in a box, and then watch no one pick them up. So we stopped doing that. Then we went to just having people request it, and then people just get mad because they didn't get it. So it's all in your court. If you want one, let us know. Just call the office. Kathy will get that to you. It takes 10 seconds to send it um, to you. It will be no issue at all. We could do a mass email of everyone um, that's done that and has email, but some people don't want to receive those things via email. So that's why we haven't done that. We understand. We want to keep your records private for you. So if you would like your end of the year giving statement, just call the church office. We will get that to you as soon as Kathy is in the office. She's in and out um, do the foot surgery, but she is getting better. So so keep that in mind. Um, Poland trip is coming up, believe it or not, in April. It'll be here before we know it. Um, and we still need a couple more folks. And if God has been at all, if, if you, there's something in you like, you know, I think maybe I ought to go, but talk to me because I probably have the answer for that. But I'm just telling you, I probably have the answer. So please, please talk to me. All right. Last thing before we, we get to introduce our speaker today. Uh, McKenna uh, is here and working strong, getting things going. Got some incredible ideas. I can't wait for her to begin to share them with you. And that will all begin on February 9th. If you are a currently a volunteer or would just like to get involved with the children's ministry here in some capacity, February 9th, right after church, she's going to be feeding you lunch and uh, begin sharing things with you. So we need you here for that. Um, please, please, please be a part of that with her. Encourage her. Um, and hey, free food, you know, so so that, that always works as well, all right? Uh, I am super excited today for lots of reasons. Uh, Gary Johnson, it's not very often that you get to preach a series from a book and then have the author come 
and close the series on that book. So that's kind of a cool thing, um, I, I think. I mean, maybe you don't, but I'm, I think that's pretty special. But beyond that, he, he is a now retired pastor, although do pastors ever really retire is a great question. 35 years or so he spent at Indian Creek slash The Creek in kind of southeast side of, of Indianapolis, just outside the loop. A great place. I got the privilege of first meeting him at a youth conference years and years and years ago. Then I got the privilege of having him as a professor in, in graduate school uh, for various classes. Um, and then since then, uh, he has now started and, and continues to operate an organization with a couple other fine men called E2 Effective Elders, where they literally travel the world at this point um, and go to churches and teach them what biblical eldership looks like, how a church is supposed to be structured biblically, not the American way that we've all gotten so used to, uh, helping churches with issues and problems. Um, it is, it's an incredible resource. Our church supports that ministry, um, which is a really cool thing for us. And so I want you to not just welcome him, because the coolest part of introducing him is I would actually consider him a friend as well. And that's way better. So let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll have Gary come on up. Father God, we're so blessed to be here this morning, Father. We, we're humbled to be in your presence this morning, the opportunity to worship, to learn, Father, to be with one another, to fellowship, and now to be challenged with your word and what it teaches. I'm so grateful for Gary, his presence and mentorship in my life, um, for the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people now that uh, he has had the opportunity to share with across the world. It's just an incredible thing that you can use any person to do such great things. And Father, I know he would be the first to give you all the credit and glory for all of those things. Father, be with us today as we study together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks very much. Hey, good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Uh, I want to, first of all, thank you for supporting E2 Effective Elders. Uh, we do have a ministry, as Chris made mention of, that is both across our country and around the world. Because of your investment in elders, we're able to continue to produce literature and movies, training videos, and, and now we, we have almost 60,000 books in circulation, and they are in seven languages being used around the world. So E2 is having an international impact, and you are having an impact in that way. So I, I first of all, I want to say thank you, and thank you to Chris and the elders uh, for the invitation to be with you today, to share with you uh, from the Word of God. Thank you for reading a book that uh, uh, the Lord Jesus uh, moved on my heart to write just a few years ago. I'm grateful for that as well. Now, as we begin, I just want to ask, maybe you've had a day uh, or two when you woke up and you just groaned, oh, it's going to be one of those days. You, you know, grab a shower, brush the teeth, comb the hair, put in the earrings, and that's just some of the guys, you know, all right? And uh, then you realize, man, I'm running late. The alarm didn't go off. You go out to the car. It's uh, running on fumes. You got to get gas. You call the office to let them know you're going to be late for the meeting. Then the battery is uh, dead on the phone. It's just one of those days. And it doesn't happen just Monday through Friday. It happens on Sundays. You wake up and you go, ah, oh, man, I'm not going to church. Nobody talks to me. Nobody likes me. The sermons are boring. But since I'm the preacher, I better go. You know, it's one of those days. All right? It's one of those days. Well, you know it's going to be one of those days when the preacher's going to talk about money. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about Jesus on generosity. That's what we're going to do today. Jesus had a thing or two to say about money. As a matter of fact, in the good book here, there are over 2,300 verses that are about money and the things that money can buy. Now, Chris learned as a graduate student in a class of mine, if something's repeated, what? 
It's important. That means God wants it to capture our attention because it appears so often in his book. God, almighty God, our creator, 2,300 verses about money and the things that money can buy. God wants us to have our financial house in order. About a third of the parables of our beloved Jesus, the master preacher, were about money and the things that money can buy. If it's repeated, it's important. The, the key is, will you and I have ears with which to hear what the Holy Spirit says to the church? That's the key. Will we be teachable in spirit? And listen up, my, my good friends, listen carefully. I will only hear the word of God if I'm teachable in spirit. And I will only be teachable in spirit if I am humble in heart. So if right now you're groaning inside because the preacher is going to talk about money, your issue is not with the preacher. Your issue, my dear friend, is with Jesus. Do you understand me? Now, I'm not a, I'm not a consultant. I'm a preacher. I am a coach. I want the team to win. As a matter of fact, I want the Kansas City Chiefs to just bury San Francisco. That's what I'm hoping, yes. <laughs> Preach it, yes. And so a coach... A coach is emotive, and a coach gets right to the point. I'm going to get right to the point today uh, because I don't know if the Lord Jesus will allow me another day to bring hope and direction to you from the Word of God. So that's what we're going to do. Now, context before content. We have to always set the stage uh, where we are in the Word of God before we actually get into its content. This is a very important rule of preaching. So as you and I turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, here's the context. Jesus, what we're about to read, this is happening just a few days before he goes to the cross. This is the last week of his life. It's about the middle of the week when he's at the temple and he sees something that just utterly amazes him. And he brings it to the attention of his guys. That's the setting. Now, if you and I knew that we only had three or four days to live, three or four days to live, what kind of conversation would we have with people? It'd be pretty serious, wouldn't it? We would be making the most of each and every conversation, would we not? If we knew we only had three or four days left, we wouldn't be talking about the Super Bowl and the teams that are playing. We wouldn't be talking about the economy. We wouldn't be talking about impeachment and the divide in Washington right now and across our country. That's not what we would be talking about. We would be talking about that which is of utter importance to each and every one of us. And that's exactly what's happening with Jesus in this moment. Now, the context also, he's in Jerusalem. He's there for the feast, the Passover, and the city would be filled with hundreds of thousands of extra believers, hundreds of thousands, and they would all be going to the temple because that's what Passover was all about, come and worship God, and it would be literally shoulder to shoulder. It would be a teeming mass of humanity. Now, with all of that being said, that's our context. Now, let's get into the content. Here we go. Chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. Where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So he's at the temple. He's at the place at the temple where all the offerings were collected. And he's watching. He's doing some people watching. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, 
but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on so he calls get over here guys come on i got to show you something here i got to tell you about something so again with just three days four days at the most until the cross he's pointing this out to him out of all of those hundreds of thousands of people this captured the attention of jesus now there are going to be three words that I believe capture and explain this moment. What we're doing, the message is like the shape of a funnel. We're starting wide with some observations, then we're gonna see how it speaks into our lives, how it applies, and then we're called to action. Remember James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said it's one thing to be a hearer of the word, it's another thing to be a what? A doer of the word. So we're gonna end up right here. So that's the journey we're on right now. So the first word that I believe comes right out of that moment is this word expectation. There was an expectation among God's people that they went to the house of God, the temple in Jerusalem, and what did they do? They gave their offering to God. It was an expectation. Everybody knew it. There was an expectation to give. Now, as we continue to unpack that story, what is important, we have to see motivation. There was motivation that was good and not so good. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, when I walked in the building today, some thought I was going to play a trumpet solo. Not at all. This is an object lesson. Remember Jesus used the word trumpet with regard to one of his many teachings about money. As a matter of fact, it was in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He said in verse 2, And when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets in order to be honored by others i tell you the truth they've received their reward in full jesus used the word trumpet now when you and i hear that phrase do not announce it with trumpet this is what we think of right here kind of like when queen elizabeth of england walks into a state affair and there are trumpeters announcing here comes the queen that's not that kind of an announcement. When Jesus said, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, the trumpet was like this. Because in the temple where the offerings were received, there were chests. They were called shofar in Hebrew. A shofar chest, and so there was a wooden chest, and there was what was called the trumpet in that chest. So that as people came and brought their offering, many rich people threw in their offerings, uh, and, and it wasn't paper currency, it was what? Coin, exactly. And the coins were made out of metal. Usually, what? Gold and silver. And the widow, hers were copper. So these metal coins, when they were giving their offerings, they would be thrown into the trumpet to go down into the chest. And all of that gold, these rich people who were putting in much, what would it do? It would make a whole lot of noise they were announcing their gift with trumpets you see they were announcing their gifts so that others could say oh look how oh did you hear that look how much he gave oh did you hear that that was incredible that's what was going on so their motivation was totally ungodly they wanted to turn heads with all that they were giving that's what it means do not announce it with trumpets but what you and i want to capture is what turned the head of Jesus and it was all about the devotion of the widow incredible Jesus says this widow has put in 
more than all of the others because she put in all that she had on which to live. So you see, when Jesus did the giving receipt for that widow, when Jesus was printing the year-end giving receipts, it wasn't how much people gave, but how much they kept for themselves that captured the, the heart and the attention of Jesus. See, she put in two copper coins, and that that word right there, copper coins, that phrase in Greek, it's the word from which we get our English word leaf, L-E-A-F. So her two copper coins were as thin as a leaf. That's what it means. And how much noise would those two thin ones, it means thin ones in Greek, what would those two thin ones make in terms of a sound? Nothing. Nobody would have noticed except Jesus, son of the living God, he noticed, because she put in all on which she had to live. Now think with me for a moment, back in the first century, Bible culture, a widow. Remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says to the disciple John, son, behold your mother, and woman, behold your son. He made sure that his mother would be well cared for in that moment. Why? Because widows, they were going to be cared for by their eldest son in the family. The eldest son now is dying on a cross. He's going to make sure that mom is cared for. A, a widow did not have Social Security death benefits to file. She did not have a widow, uh, an insurance policy to redeem on which to live the rest of her day. She didn't have a 401k to uh, begin drawing from. The widow was completely dependent upon her surviving children. The fact that we read she put in on all that she had on which to live would indicate to us that perhaps her children were also dead. And if you and I will look here in chapter 12, this is huge. Let's go right in front of our text. Notice in verse 38, as he taught Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, be greeted in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Now look at verse 40. These teachers of the law, Jesus is condemning them. Why? Verse 40, they devour widows' houses. What does that mean? That when a widow, when her husband died and she became a widow and she didn't have kids, people took advantage of that widow. They devoured widows' homes. They bought it from underneath them. It could be that this widow was not only penniless, but she was homeless. She put in her two thin ones that day, trusting God because she had no hope for an evening meal that day. She had no place, perhaps, to uh, lay her head that evening. So you talk about devotion, it was off the chart. Remarkable. Now, let's just push pause here. We're about right here. We're going to stop right here. Let's, anybody remember uh, whisk laundry detergent? Uh, there was a commercial years ago when I was a boy growing up, and, and it played for quite some time, well into my young adult years, and the commercial on television showed this homemaker. Uh, home, uh, she was doing the laundry. She had longer hair, and she was pushing her longer hair back with her sudsy hands, and the whisk commercial showed her washing her husband's shirts, if you remember the commercial. And uh, the, the commercial said, oh, she's tried soaking him out. Oh, she's tried scrubbing him out, but still she gets what? Remember what the phrase was? She still gets what around the collar? 
Ah, ring around the collar. You remember? Oh, those filthy rings. She's tried soaking them out. She's tried scrubbing them out. But still, she gets ring around the collar. Now, that commercial inferred that that housewife did not know how to do the laundry. That's what it inferred. But what that commercial needed to ask was the most obvious question, and that is, when is that guy going to wash his neck? That's the question the commercial should have asked. Now, here's an obvious question, and that is, what does this moment in the life of Jesus teach us? What, here's the obvious question. What is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord? Did you hear that, that term, Lord? Under whose lordship are we to live? Jesus. Are we on the same page there? All right. Be a little more Pentecostal and less Presbyterian, okay? All right, okay, here we go. So what is our beloved Savior and Lord teaching us? Here it is, three things. We're gonna take it right from expectation, right from motivation, and right from devotion. Here are three things he's teaching us. The first lesson he teaches us, here's the expectation, no one is too poor to give. That's what Jesus is teaching us right now. No one is too poor to to give. Anybody play Monopoly? Uh, I, I'm pretty competitive. I used to be a banker before I was a preacher, and I, I play to crush people in Monopoly, even the grandkids. We just played over the Christmas holiday, and I said, Grandpa's going to crush you. I just want you to know, okay? That's my intent. In Monopoly, that chance card, there's a chance card, get out of what? Remember? Jail-free card. It's a get out of jail-free card. Oh, how we want one of those. There are some people today who think they can get a get-out-of-giving free card. Er, bad theology does not exist because Jesus teaches us no one is what? Too poor to give. So if we say, oh, I'm a college student, I, I can't give. No, nope, sorry. If, if you're working at Chick-fil-A, if you're working at Walmart, you, you, you're not too poor to give. Oh, I'm a widow, or I'm a widower, I'm on a fixed income. Sorry, you don't get a get-out-of-giving-free card. I'm a single mom, I'm trying to make ends meet. Sorry, you don't get a get-out-of-giving-free get card. I'm on unemployment. Yeah, you're on unemployment, you're getting an unemployment check from the state of Indiana, you're not too poor to give. And it's not Gary preaching. Who's the, the lesson giver today? Jesus is. And he's teaching us no one is too poor to give comes right out of the example of the widow. Now here's the second lesson Jesus is teaching us today. And that is uh, that love is more of an action than it is an emotion. Love is more of an action than it is an emotion. I'm, I'm here to tell you, Leah and I, we've been married uh, going on 42 years. And uh, I can stop in Indianapolis right on Southport Road at 65. There's oftentimes a white van, an old, rickety, rusty white van, and the doors are open, and there's this sign that says, Roses, $6 a dozen. And I go, wow, what a deal. And I'll pull over. I'll say, give me two, please, two dozen red roses, all right? Then I'll go over to uh, uh, a, a Walgreens or a, an, uh, another uh, a CVS to get Leah a card to go with those roses, and the hallmark greeting 
card, the warm fuzzy card is more expensive than the $6 roses, if you know what I mean. They're making a killing, but I want to give Leah a card in roses because we like that warm fuzzy feeling today in our culture about love. Give, just give me that warm fuzzy feeling. I'm here to tell you that's not love according to, to the Word of God. Whenever you and I read the Bible, love is more of an action than it is an emotion. Think with me for a moment. John three sixteen. Say it even with me. For God so loved the world that he gave. There it is. God so loved that he gave. What did Jesus say the night before he goes to the cross? No greater love has anyone than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. See, love is more of an action than it is an emotion. Now, in whose image have we been made? God's image. Genesis chapter 1 says clearly uh, we have been made in the image of God and our God is outrageously generous. God so loved that he gave his one and only son. God is outrageously generous. So here's the legitimate question. Are we outrageously generous? If we are tight-fisted, uh, I would say we don't look much like our Father in heaven. If we are not giving the apple has fallen far from the tree. We do not have that spitten image of the Father in heaven because our Father in heaven is outrageously generous. So also should his children be outrageously generous. And think with me, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is a powerful statement. 1 John 5, 3. It says, this is love for God that we obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So, love for God is following his commands. And that would tell us that love is more of an action than it is an emotion. So if I just tell Leah, oh, Leah, I love you, Leah, I love you, here's a card, card. No, she wants me to vacuum the rug, make the bed, do the dishes, all right? And I see a lot of women looking at their husbands right now, all right? Love is more of an action than it is an emotion. Now here's our third lesson that Jesus, Savior and Lord, is teaching us from the text. It all comes from that word devotion, the devotion of the widow. God must be our master, not money. God has to be our master. Remember again, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said so much about money when he was preaching, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24, no one can serve, what, two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be, devo uh, you cannot, uh, be devoted to both God and money. See, it's either God or it's money. Jesus said that. And you and I have got to make sure that God is the ruler, the master, sovereign over our lives. And how do we prove that? By our actions, how we live. All right, now, now we're about right here. We're almost done. Stay with me. This is where the rubber hits the road. All right, so when we need to obey God, when this is love for God, that we obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome, we're going to look at a command. And I want you now to turn with me from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to go just back a few pages into the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Now, before we read this text in chapter 3, 
listen carefully. We have to set the context before we look at the what? The content. That's right. So context before content. This incredible book of the Bible, Malachi, is a conversation between God and his people. God's doing a lot of talking. An enormous percentage of this book is a give-and-take conversation between God and his people. Now, if some are saying, oh, Gary, we're a New Testament church. We don't live in the Old Testament. Oh, so does that mean we just jettison the Ten Commandments out of the way? Does that mean the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we don't pay any attention? No, obviously. Does that mean we're not going to use Psalm 23 at our funeral someday? Give me a break. The Word of God, the whole counsel of God speaks into our lives. Are we on the same page? All right. Well, Gary, this is Old Testament. I know the verse you're going to talk to us about. It's about tithing, and tithing is Old Testament. Really? Matthew chapter 23, 23, and that, just look in the Bible. It's in red print. That means who said it? Jesus did. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus affirmed tithing. Jesus lifted up tithing as still a part of Oh, but Gary, you know what Paul said? Uh, he said everyone should decide in his heart what he should give. Yes, that's true. Paul said that to the church in Corinth, but that was not in reference to the, the local church. That was a love offering that was being collected to help the believers back in Judea who were starving because of a great famine. They were collecting an offering, a love offering, and Paul said, come on now, you made a promise to participate in this love offering. Everyone should decide in his heart how much he's going to give to that love offering. So you and I have got to set context before we look at this content because many times people try to take a, a get-out-of-tithing-free card on this text. Now, before we even read the verses, I want to remind you in verse 6, chapter 3, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. You can just look right there and you can see it right now. I, the Lord, do not change. So do you think God's attitude, God's thinking has changed with regard to anything he has said in his book? Oh, you know, I've changed my mind. Yeah, guys can marry guys, gals can marry gals. Yeah, I've changed my mind. Do you think God changes his mind about stuff? No, not at all. So in this book right now, we're going to read about something that God still would teach to you and to me. We're going to begin chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Let me just stop there a minute. Anybody been a victim of thievery, of robbery? Lee and I came back from a vacation. Somebody had broken into our house. They, they took some stuff, and, and we were pretty upset about it. That, uh, the emotions that that brought about in our lives. We were not happy campers been made in the image of God I was pretty upset when we were victims of robbery I wonder if that's the same kind of an emotion that God would have when we have robbed him you're robbing me in tithes and offerings you're under a curse the whole nation of you because you're robbing me verse 10 bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. 
I want to just break this down again. Three words. That first word is the word tithe. Tithe means what in English? Anybody? A tenth. It's not high math. A tenth. Very simple. Now, when he says here the whole nation is under a curse, that word curse in Hebrew it means one obstacle after another. And when I do not give to God what is rightfully his, I shouldn't be surprised that when my life is in disorder, I'm going to have one obstacle after another. When God is not really my sovereign, when Jesus is not really my Lord. Oh, no, I want Jesus, his death on the cross to get me into heaven. But that lordship stuff, no, no, I don't need Jesus as my Lord. So many people today in America want what is called cafeteria Christianity. Just Google that sometime, cafeteria Christianity. It's just like going through a, a buffet line. You pick and choose out of the Bible what you want of God and you leave uh, the rest behind. It doesn't work that way with God. We don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms, period, end of discussion. That's what makes him Lord over us. So what you and I need to understand when we're robbing God of tithes and offerings, listen to that, tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings are two separate things. Tithing is not generosity. Leah, when we were dating in undergraduate school back in the 1970s, she being a PK, a preacher's kid, taught me what tithing was. I had no idea what it was. She taught me, and as we became engaged, we made a commitment. We've been tithing ever since. We've not been generous with God. We have been obedient with regard to that. Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is obedience. Offerings are generosity. When Leah and I give over and above the tithe, we enter into generosity. So what you and I need to understand is tithing is a command. It's an expectation uh, of God towards us, the motivation of giving should be one of cheer, should be one, uh, this is love for God that we obey his commands. It's, it's an expression of love when we obey that command of tithing. Uh, and it is showing that he's Lord and master of our life, not money, that devotion thing. Now, this tithe was to come into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The storehouse was the temple treasury there in Jerusalem. You bring it in. We're going to put it in the temple treasury. What's it going to do? It's going to help the temple to operate. It's going to make sure that the temple is in good repair. It's going to make sure that the tribe of Levi, they're not going to be raising crops and livestock. We're going to take care of the tribe of Levi so that they can keep the ministry of the temple going. And we're going to help people like widows and orphans that's what we're going to do so today when we bring the whole tithe into this god's house we're going to make sure that the ministry of jesus continues we're going to pay the light bill we're not going to be past due so that the lights are shut off we're going to make sure that the people who are giving their lives in full-time christian service get a paycheck and they can they can serve jesus with their lives we're going to take care of our missionaries so that they can go out and bring the good news of people whether across town or across the country or around the world that's what we're going to do and we're going to help widows and orphans we're going to help people with benevolence when we bring the whole tithe into the storehouse but you know what that doesn't always happen today listen up oh i love the american red cross oh i love the american cancer society all of that's good habitat for humanity wonderful organization but listen up church the american red cross the american cancer society the american heart association habitat for Humanity, all very good noble organizations but not a single one of them offers the good news of eternal life through jesus christ that's what makes his bride uniquely different. 
And that's why we bring our tithes to the bride. Does that make sense? And then generosity to those other organizations can be over and above and beyond that tithe. So, now this word test, God says, test me in this. Only place in the word of God where he says, test me in this. And what you and I need to understand is, he says, if you bring the whole tithe, watch what I'm going to do for you and with you. I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven. It's a word that is like a spillway of a dam. Maybe you've seen a, a spillway of a dam. It's incredible, the power of water that comes out. He's, he says, I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you blessing you can't contain. He's not saying, don't listen to the TV preachers. Come on now, bring the seed money. I'm gonna, God's going to give you $100 bills. No, that's not what it means. That's irresponsible preaching of the text. But I can tell you, after 42 years of marriage, God has blessed us. Leah and I, we have never, ever uh, thought of divorce. Our boys grew up in a home where they saw mom and dad love one another. We have grandkids, six grandkids, who are now being raised to love Jesus and to give their lives to Christ. Uh, we, we see people from our family, generation after generation, going into full-time Christian service. We see so many blessings. Last year, both of our daughters-in-law were diagnosed with aggressive, violent cancer in their 30s. Both of them now are on the other side of healing, and they are in complete remission. We see so much blessing, so much favor, so much mercy from our God. Uh, uh, you know, a long, I've been a preacher almost 40 years. I never thought that that could happen, and God has blessed that journey. So God opens the floodgates of heaven, and many of you who have brought the tithe into the storehouse, you could have the same testimony as well, God's blessing and favor resting on you. And so here's the issue. Remember in this book, I said there's an equation. There are four principles and there are four practices that will result in real profit. So one of those four practices is giving. You and I, if we get this, this practice right in our lives, life's going to change. But that'll never happen. Here's that one principle. We've got to trust God. You and I will never, ever, ever bring the whole tithe into the storehouse until we learn to trust God, just like that widow did. She trusted God for supper. She trusted God for a place, a safe place to sleep that night. We have to trust God. In 1956, two remarkable things happened. Number one, I was born in 1956. And number two, maybe some, uh, someone else was. But here, here's the, the real clincher. Our government adopted formally through congressional act our nation's motto. What is our nation's motto? In God we trust. Do we or don't we? Our trust is not in the administration, in Congress, in the judicial. Our trust is not in the paycheck that we receive from our employer. Our trust has to be anchored in God. It must be. And only when we fully trust God will we bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, there's a guy by the name of Charlie Steinmetz. And Charlie Steinmetz, an incredible guy, he was an inventor. Um, I think that we even have a picture of Charlie to, to show you. He was a friend of a guy named Henry Ford. And um, Charlie uh, was a brilliant inventor in the early 1900s of our country. He designed the uh, electrical uh, plant for the first automotive plant in Dearborn, Michigan. And uh, that powered the assembly line. And so Ford was making thousands of model what? 
T's on that assembly line. One day, the assembly line came to a screeching halt. The plant went dark because the power to the plant was cut off for some reason. The maintenance workers worked on it, and they tried to fix it, and they could not. So uh, Henry Ford said, you better get Charlie over here. So here came Charlie Steinmetz. He tinkered around for a few hours. He threw the switch, and the plant roared to life. And uh, Henry was happy because Henry liked to make money. He liked to rub two nickels together. Well, Charlie sent Henry a bill. Henry got the bill, he opened it, and it was for $10,000, a very princely sum in the early 1900s. Henry took a pen and he wrote on that bill, Charlie, isn't this a bit much for a few hours of tinkering around? Question mark, H. Ford. He sent it with his courier back to Charlie. Charlie looked at the note that Henry wrote. He wrote up a new bill, put it in an envelope, sent it back to Henry Ford. Henry Ford opened the bill, and the new bill said, for a few hours of tinkering around, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Total due, $10,000. And Henry paid the bill. Now listen up. The Holy Spirit is God in our skin. If you and I have been immersed, repent and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of who? The Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God is spirit. He has no skin. It says that in 1 John. Jesus is God with skin. He put on skin, moved into our neighbor, John, uh, neighborhood, John chapter 1. He became flesh and dwelt among us. The Holy Spirit is God in our skin, and the Holy Spirit knows where to tinker right now. And so what is he saying to all of us in this moment? Because if Jesus is Lord, that means he's in charge. So I'm going to ask Chris and the guys if they will pass these out. These are decision cards. Again, be more than what? Hearers of the word. Be doers of the word so if every family could take one card one card per family all right and uh, what it is it's a decision card and it's between you and God did you hear me say that you and God this is between you and God what it is and and we've done this I, I've I've been in church of three dozen churches doing this and I'm here to tell you, it makes all the difference when we are called to make a decision. So on this card, you, you can see a dotted line. That, that means we want to make a decision. We're going to fold the card. And you don't have to do it today. You don't have to do it right now. And what we're going to do, we're going to keep that card. Lee and I, we've got one of these cards. It's in our checkbook at home. And Lee and I, we decide every year we're going to can, uh, give generously above and beyond the tithe. We circle that. We circle that. We sign our name. We date it. And we put that in our checkbook at home. Nobody knows that at Indian Creek Christian Church. It's our decision between us and God. But what we tell the creek, the leadership of the creek, we circle that same one up above, give generously above and beyond the tithe. We circle that. We tear that off and we turn that in every year at the creek. They don't know who it's from because it's anonymous. But we want our elders to know that we are bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse because it helps our leaders to lead all the more effectively. Now, let me tell you, I love this church because you've got some incredible leaders here. Your leaders are already, they've received this a week ago, and they're already completing it. 
one elder came up this morning. He wanted to turn this into me. I said, ah, don't give it to me. Uh, this is for you, that you already have leaders who want to lead by what? Example, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, the Apostle Paul said. Let me tell you, your future here is as bright as the promises of God because of your heart here. So this is a decision. You're now at the end of this series, too much, living with less in the land of more, and it's time to make decisions. We're going to get out of debt. We're going to live within, uh, within our means. We're going to be content with what we have. The whole book is about decisions. I didn't learn this in college. I learned this by watching my mom and my dad uh, if you read the book, you heard some of their stories of how I, I had an incredible inheritance. It had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with how I watched my mom and dad live. And they modeled for me truth from this book. And now I'm privileged to live that way for my sons, my daughters-in-law, and my grandchildren, and for you. So God calls us to make a decision. So Chris, if you'll come, please. And God's people say, amen comes up um just just a couple things for you if you didn't get one of those books we actually do still have about six or eight left sitting out there if you're visiting today or whatever and you would like one of those books we'd be happy to send that with you um this is this is a, a big deal it, it's just a, a reality of who we are and, and the commitment uh, that we need to have toward god and actually we're following this series with a question that i've been asked i can't tell you how many times since i've been here uh, membership at what what is members why church why do you even have church membership what is it how do i become a member why would i want to become a member well guess what we're going to be doing the next three weeks we're talking about that exact thing uh, that level of commitment you know our society is devoid of commitment don't you it is everywhere, and our commitment to God cannot be sacrificed. It cannot. And Jesus knew one easy way for him to, to, to measure our level of commitment to him is our pocketbook. Because he knew if he didn't have that, he wouldn't have any of us. That's why he said you cannot be devoted to both God and money. He knows that. And the moment you turn over that devotion to your money and you make yourself devoted to God, the money thing takes care of itself. He will always provide everything that you need. It's an incredible, incredible thing. And here's the reality. If you're not ready to make that kind of challenge yet, that means that there is a barrier between you and God, and that's what this invitation time is about. Maybe for you that barrier is you have never fully committed. That question, it's a very intimidating question. Have you ever intentionally stated, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I want him as my Lord and Savior. Have you ever made that official commitment to him? You would be surprised how many people in the church have never made that commitment. They've just always been here, and so we want to challenge you to do that first. If there's something between you and God right now that's just making you really uncomfortable with this whole topic, then this is the time to come forward and allow us to pray for you. If you're dealing with cancer or other difficulties in your life, we have an opportunity to pray. We have a prayer room set aside right over here, and we would love to utilize that every single week. But the reality, everybody's good. Everybody's got everything taken care of, so they walk right out the back door and never stick around. Now, you and I both know that's not true. Ain't a single person in this room that's got it all together. Guarantee. And if you think you do, I apologize in advance for the week that's about to happen to you because you're going to realize you don't. And I don't want you to realize you don't without God because he's the only one that can help you through. So I'm going to pray and then we'll begin singing. That's your opportunity to come forward.
and make those commitments. Father God, we, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we, we in America, we love to look at the truth and try to figure out every possible way we can around it. It's who we are. Uh, Father, we couldn't do anything worse than that. We water it down. We just disregard it completely. We ignore it. We ch- alter it. We even change it to make it fit our culture and our desires. And Father, we know you're not happy with that. May we at Berea never, ever be people who do that. May we stand on your word, on your truth at all times and not be ashamed to preach it. Father, we thank you for Gary being with us this morning to share. We thank you for the book that we've shared together. And now we thank you for the opportunity for the spirit to move within us and make whatever decision, whatever commitment it is that needs made. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing?